welcome. This is Raventail. Oceans and beaches are safe for now because he's back. Michael Cole has taken his brand of fear and terror inland again and nobody can stop him. His latest creatures are loose and invading the farmlands of Eastland County. With cheetah speed and teeth like scalpels, they seek to feed on anything they can catch. Horses, cows, pigs, humans, nothing is safe for they are meat eaters jump on an adventure that one reviewer calls Jurassic Park with Cowboys. Meat Eaters, available now on Amazon from Raventail Publishing. Hey, howdy. I am Jerry Underhill. Thanks for being here. And thanks as always to our sponsor, Dusty Saddle Publishing. If you've got eyes and you like to read, why not try a Dusty Saddle Publishing Western? With hits by the dozen, authors by the barrel, and the kind of traditional western goodness that makes this old cowboy cry. Head on over and give them a try. You'll never regret it. Uh, find their catalog at dspublishingnetwork.com or on uh, any of the socials. Thanks also to Raventail Publishing, which this podcast represents. Um, we are a part of Dusty Saddle and uh, can be found on the socials at Raventail. Um, you can find me, as always, at jbear 3 That's three spelled out, T-H-R-E-E. Um, particularly if you want to just see pictures of Ralph, my Airedale, ter- my Airedale Terrier, and um, I'm pretty much just that. So, I've got two rather successful authors m- with me today, and I'm, I'm pretty excited to talk to them. So uh, let's just go ahead and get on into that. Hey, Megan. Can you, can you hear, hear me? me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, we're good. Hey, Shindel. Can you hear us? Yeah. What? Why can I only see myself? Well, we don't have video on. Well, you, don't, you don't need to have your video on. Turn it off. I don't want to see you. Then why are we doing a fucking Zoom? How do I turn the video off? Um, bottom left corner, it says where it says start video. You could just click on it, and then the red line will go through the little video camera. It'll shut you off. We're doing the fucking Zoom so that I can record the meeting. It's an easy way to do it. Okay? You know, we were just talking about how you're a tiger killer and really willing to kill people uh, for friends and how that really kind of gets in the way sometimes. And I'm just trying to have a normal Okay, I didn't say that. Don't, don't throw me. Well, hold on, hold on. Can I? I'll, I'll say what you said because I don't want you to get the claws. <laughs> Megan, Megan said it's a lovely trait and she loves it of you that you're loyal and then I said that you're a tiger killer and it can be a problem because you know I always have to talk to you and I know that like if you think the conversation is going to get heated at all like maybe even within an hour of that topic being broached you just go at it right away and you take the throat true or not true 
I am not a tiger killer. I am a tiger. I would never hurt a beloved tiger. No, you're not a tiger. Okay, you're not a tiger killer. You're a tiger dash killer. You kill much like a tiger. That's redundant. Like a cat. Tigers. But tiger killer is redundant, isn't it? I mean, that's fine. But I was just adding a bit of like animal magic to your lore. (laughs) Do you prefer a different animal? Just tiger. Tigers are killers. It's like saying a dog barker. But if I call you just Shindel's a tiger, then it implies other things about maybe like coloring or size, behavioral stuff. If I call you a tiger killer, it's very specific what I'm referring to. Maybe you should log off. I, Megan and I were having a good talk. <laughs> Hi, Shindel. Hi, Shindel. Hi. Okay, guys. Shindel is my sister. Uh, I'm Hi. Jerry Underhill, and she's Shindel LaVon. Our parents gave us different last names. We also have Megan Montero on here. Hi, Megan. Hi. Hi. You guys are very successful um, at this. And this, I think we can all agree, is something a lot of people really want, just to be able to survive off writing books. Um, I mean, congratulations, first of all. It's something that I'm chasing. And I know so many other writers, seemingly all of Twitter, are chasing. And uh, I do want to talk to you guys about your success stories because not that I, I typically care about success stories, but some of the things that it took to get where you are can be applied. I don't know, to every path to any number of things in life. Um, but first I did want to talk a bit about Shindell's success. Cause I know more about hers, Megan, sorry, than, uh, than yours, but I have this picture in my phone and uh, I don't remember what genre it is. It's an Amazon ranking. It's a top four. And the first book is, I think, uh, Harry Potter, Sorcerer's Stone. You remember this, Shindel? Uh, vaguely, yeah. And then the second book is yours. I don't know if it was Rotten Bitch or Sealy Bitch or Nasty Bitch or... Well, I don't know Ooh, what title it was. Nasty Bitch is a good title. Nasty, nasty Witch, maybe, is a good title. Nasty Bitch Nasty bitch is the kind of stuff Megan writes. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I just, I just give you the PG version of my book. No, okay. Well, that might be, and thank you. But you know, just as a little aside, I have a bone to pick with you, Megan, that I already kind of started picking. But somebody could have warned old Jer Bear that he woke up with that when he woke up that day, he was going to be reading about some bloke's length. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's we're all adults here. We can we can talk about things if you want to talk about things. I, sleep was barely out of my eyes. I mean, you're welcome. I mean, I didn't have to read it four times, but I did. that's how good i am (laughs) had to get it right (laughs) i had to get it right that's what he said (laughs) hell yeah um but yeah chandel's been i think the highest i've seen you chandel like number 45 on amazon's uh book uh selling rankings i know i said that well uh overall which is pretty awesome yeah that's cool and Megan, I've seen you routinely at the top of, of your genres. Um, number one bestseller, number one this, number one that. I saw Megan's Wicked- pretty high too. I just don't know the exact number. So this is where you step in as the tiger killer to tell me to talk more about Megan. <laughs> Megan, you got you got real high. What was your what was your best? I don't want to keep forgetting it because I'm dyslexic. No, I'm pretty sure it was uh right in the high two hundreds, like two twenty yeah. two twenty three or something like that. Good lord, man. Yeah, that's that's still badass. That is really badass. How is I Wicked? 
how was Wicked Bite doing, Megan? That's your recent one. That was a really good one. I mean, I know there's a lot about about length and a lot of sex, but uh, it's a good story. I'm a sucker for vampire stories, so you know it's a hot little. Story. I told her that. <laughs> Did you? Jerry's yeah. like you're like the best vampire slut I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's doing really, really well. Uh, I am really happy with the release because it came out. The rankings were pretty good. I did hit number one in quite a few categories, so I can't really complain about that. And the ranks have been holding for days now. So it's been very a very, very good, solid release for me on a on the first book in the new series. So I'm pretty happy, pretty happy with it. And it's a hotter direction for me. So I'm excited. Hotter as in steamy? Hotter as in steamy. Hell yeah. Chanel- H-A-W-T. Yeah. Hot. Hot. <laughs> Chanel, what was your last book that I edited called? Uh, Death Bitch. What was it? The Death Witch. The Death Witch. Yeah. Um, did you really like withhold the sex scenes or are you your YA? No. So fun fact for that book is that. Um, Might not be fun I for me. Writing. I need I need my sister to not not share her sex. Uh, no. Pros with me. No, I didn't. No, I don't make you read them, but. Thank you. Um. I, d- I write them last because I was running out of time for this book. So I saved them to write them last because I was like, well, it's not going in the book for you to edit. So I'll write it on the side afterwards. And then I ran out of time. So uh, there were two, two sex scenes that I just never wrote for this book. Two sections. I don't, I don't like to write this. Oh, well, you should uh, subcontract them out to Megan. <laughs> she does all our co-writes. Yeah. <laughs> so any of the like really really steamy hot scenes in our co-writes those ones are me oh my god there was this one scene and uh and one of your co-writes it it floored me i actually had to step away for a second it was much more than i expected it to be um <laughs> was it the fairy one the fairy one with the, i don't know man. watching yeah i i think that i don't want to talk about it i this is not the road i wanted to go about so you guys have a band uh, called Shanigan, Shanigan, is that right? I mean, no, you're, not a, you're not a real band, but you have shirts and you do world tours. Is that right? Shanigan, yeah, is a band in um in in one of our co-writes, uh, okay. the Magic Magic blah, Magic Marked trilogy, um, the first season of the Night Realm. It's just it started as something really small that happened to be like characters walking through the post concert you know Penn Station Madison Square Gardens we just made up a band and um it kind of just ran away with us as things do um and then and then we used it again and then little teaser Megan and I are going to write a a contemporary romance series and the Chanigan band is going to be in that series so there's going to be like a little crossover yeah our fans kind of ran away with it because we we put it in there as like a fun little um, like thing, like oh, this is gonna be hilarious. We're gonna make we're gonna name a band after the two of us, and then all of a sudden yeah. our fans were like, "We need T-shirts. We need we need some merch." And her and I were like, "Sure, are all right, yeah." You guys have okay. awesome fans, man. Especially uh, Miss Ma'am. Miss Ma'am oh. seems like a great fan and a great Everyone, human. Yeah, Savvy is great. She's, She's human. I mean, I don't know if she's any more human than I am, but word. But uh, she's she's fantastic. She's hilarious. She's one of our closest friends, and I we just we both adore her. She's- well, I I just thought that when you guys did your little travels to Salem, and when I call it a world tour, I, I figured that was your only stop ever. 
but you guys yeah. go to Salem with your with your homies, right? And you guys are Shanigan. That's, that's a thing. No, no, Shanigan is just a fictional. Yeah, but I thought you'd sort of taken it on in the real world, you know, because as as true artists, like the the line between real world and and, and, and stories is blurred. You yes, think Megan and I should just be Shanigan. I mean, we could I one think, entity. Yeah. That's it. They are based on us. They are based on us. And I don't know why you haven't done it already. I mean, what's what's the um what's the world tour called? Hold on, it was um Chanigan Fighting Tiger Sassy Lion or something. Remember oh, Megan? Yes, fire fighting tiger sassy lion. Oh, this killer tiger thing was already a thing? Oh, it's yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, I just assumed because tigers kill for pleasure. I, that's why I was calling you tiger so that's shit. why I'm, you know that's why I'm, yeah that's true i do wow. the universe um, but, just tells us all the same information sometimes yeah I've, have to I've, talk. Been the tiger. I've been the tiger for a while and she's sassy know, man. I'm, I'm tired of it because she's because she's also a killer but she's also a lot sleepier yep maybe a little bit more diplomatic you know and, but she's like the male lion not the female lions who okay. do the hunting she's the male lion that lays there on yeah, the she, rock she's interested in, in the mating <laughs> yeah oh jerry are we obsessed with my scenes have i talked I'm... a couple things what's up miss ma'am i'm bothered <laughs> um you guys are really good at friendship um both in real life less you Shindel, with me but um with each other you guys are great friends obviously and the thing that jumps out to me about your books and not many people do it as well as you guys and i mean that um because I do read once upon a time, I, I did more, but, uh, and you're particularly great at dialogue. So do you guys have any, what are your top three keys to friendship in real life? Cause it seems so warm and so genuine. And, and it could also just be your top three keys to writing friendship and stories. Um, because you do this thing where, where the friendships feel so distinct, you know, there's a flavor that makes it a specific relationship and not just like a general, you know, version of bestiness. But it also can apply to so many friendships. I feel like I'm listening to, I don't know, any one of my friends talk to any one of my friends. It's it's a really cool thing. I think for, for Chanel and I and in real life, and I know she can come in on this one anytime, but for the two of us, the way that we work, we've always been incredibly honest and incredibly loyal with each other. And that's really important. And also no friendship comes with any kind of like ups and downs. There's always ups and downs. There's always arguments. However, I think one of our best traits is, is that if we do have like an argument or disagreement, we talk about it, we hash it out and then we move on. Okay. Can you tell me a time that you disappointed each other and talked about it and then became better friends? I have no idea, bro. That's, um, (laughs) well, we've learned things. I mean, we've been besties for nine years now, so We don't really have issues now. Now our issues are if outside forces are putting us in bad moods and we accidentally take it out on each other and then we're like, yo, pump the brakes, bro. Like, what up? Um, Now we just call each other out on everything because we're like, okay, you're being a bitch right now. Um, And and then usually it's just being like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to be. In the beginning, though, we had to learn the hard way a few times because as you say I'm kind of a killer and I don't like to we had different ways of handling anger or like being mad at each other in the beginning 
Megan was more of the back away. I need space. I need silence. Like I need to go and, and just, I need to be away from you right now. And whereas I was like, no, to hell with that. You're going to go stew and just be more and more mad about it and blow up like a volcano. So I'm just going to be the tornado and rip through this. And we're just going to get to the heart of the situation. Yeah. Because I, tend and to- I just forced her to talk about it. Yeah, I tend to like, when I get really, really angry, I will just go silent and I won't yeah, radio say, silent, like radio silent. I won't talk to anyone. I won't say anything. And then it'll take like a hair trigger just to set me off. And then I just get vicious. Well, you both must've lost friends that way. Chandel with your willingness to just tornado through, you know, their need for space what, and Megan what, with your you willingness. Broke up. What? I lost you. I said, you, you both must've lost friends that way. Chandel with your willingness to to just tornado through barriers when the other person needs, you know, a moment. And Megan, with your willingness to have silence that that allows you to stew or it fosters like this volcano you're talking about. Well, the thing is, the thing is, it's not that I'm, it's not that I'm disrespecting like her need to have space. It's more of, more of like, we need to talk about this. We need to. I'm really good at putting myself in other people's shoes and seeing things from other perspectives and I know that words that I say can come out wrong just because I'm a very blunt person and all that of them doesn't always <laughs> go on I know that I'm a really blunt person and, and then my face is the resting bitch face and it, it never looks nice and so therefore people always think I'm in a bad mood even when I'm singing Taylor Swift songs in my head everyone thinks I'm in a bad mood or I'm being mean. And so, and it's really lost when it's written, you know, texting and things like that. And that's mostly how Megan and I, our friendship was just basically texting in the beginning. So it was more of, okay, I said something, you're mad. Chances are really good that I did it. So why don't you just tell me what I did wrong because I'm the type of person if you tell me what I'm doing wrong I'm going to fix it if you tell me like Megan really used to hate the word whatever like if I said okay whatever it's fine that would and fine those are two words she hated and as most people do and so I had to learn that the hard way you know or like certain things would trigger it. and I'm like just tell me and I always tell all my friends this if I say something or do something that upsets you, just tell me, bluntly tell me what I did. Because chances are good that I didn't, first of all, intend it to come out that way or be mean to do it. You know what I mean? Like, Was there an A? I'm going to fix it. What? Nothing. <laughs> well, I think- No, what did you say? Like, there's also like a, there's an honesty about it, right? There's an honesty about our relationship that like as friends, that we put in front of each other like we are blunt with each other we're like yo you're not you're not being nice right now like that wasn't nice or whatever and it's worked out very very quickly there's no festering there's no holding on to anything there's no grudges at all between the two of us which works a lot and especially in this industry it's a very everybody knows everyone in this industry and it's really good to have someone that gets you understands you know knows what the world is like that you're working in and also you can help each other along the way which is pretty I think amazing to begin with and we both just want the best for each other like we're not in competition with each other at all it's always about 
what can we do to make each other's books better? What can we do to like help each other market? Like we're- I get that. I mean- there to like really just help push each other forward. And for me, it's almost to the point where, you know, any, any friendship that doesn't match that kind of description isn't, isn't worth anything. I really didn't mean to, you know, imply that that Chandel's tornado approach or that your I need a moment approach is, is wrong or a fault or anything. It's just interesting when you look at great friendships, how, you know, there has to be some, some, um, you know, you have to gel, right? Like, like Chandel's willingness to tornado has to work with Megan's willingness to, to break out of her silence, you know, Chandel oh, and, and I Megan. Have tornadoed through a few friendships recently. <laughs> well, that's what I was saying. And that's what I was thinking about when, when you said that and, and, but that's perfectly okay. Right. Cause that's, that's how you find actual great friends because you have to find the right person that matches your approach to things or can, can work with your approach. I mean, what it comes down to for me is that I'm not the kind of person who pretends to be some, anything that I'm not. And so I can't, I can't be close and be besties with friends with someone or whatever, if we can't have honesty. So like, I'm not gonna, this isn't high school. I'm not doing the drama. And I've had other author friends where I've had to like, like, if you can't handle me talking to you about what we did or what the fight was or whatever, then this isn't going to work. It all comes down to honesty and not everyone can handle blunt force trauma of honesty. Let's take a quick break and hear a word from Dusty Sada Publishing. If you're interested in checking out a Western, one of our biggest authors, C. Wayne Winkle, has a newer one out, the fifth book in an exciting new action-packed Western series. Clint Early, Long Riding Man, Gunfine in California, has 757 reviews currently on Amazon. After hunting down and killing most of the gang who raped and killed his wife, Clint Early finds himself at a stone wall. The two gang members left... Matthias Rule and Kane Tannehill are nowhere to be found. He doesn't even know where to start looking. So he decides to return to California to try to find Nina Ashmore. Hopefully she is still on the Applegate Trail east of Sacramento. And also, hopefully, she's not married. There are many trials and tribulations on the way for Early, not the least of which is Kane Tannehill. Matthias Rule has set him on the trail of Early with orders to kill him, and Rule is following to make sure the deed is done. Will Early make it to California and Nina, or will Cain find and kill him? Find it on Amazon now from Dusty Saddle Publishing. Let me ask, uh, let me ask the next question then, because I think it might be kind of related to your answer to that. What do you see as the greatest threats in your world? And, and I'll explain a little bit, because I was thinking about this yesterday when I realized that my characters, I often uh, either write you know, rather soft-hearted and gentle characters, or protagonists that can be explosively violent. And in both cases, you know, for these characters, it, it's their greatest strength, but also their greatest weakness. And I think it's like that with the part of you that's most powerful, right? There's a volatility there that requires a lot of hard work and uh, cultivation as you grow older with it. But I think that comes from my greatest perceived threat to me is myself, my, you know, my soft heartedness and or this explosive anger that, that can rise when, um, when I am provoked, you know, when, when right. I feel like I am being done wrong. So it makes sense that it would come out in my storytelling that way, you know, without really trying. Um, right. Cause I never really did it purposefully, but it ended up being a, a great way for me to explore those sides of myself. So what do you see as the greatest threats to your world? And do you think it comes out in your stories? Um, um, go ahead. Megan. Do you want to go first, Shandell? Or do you want me to go? <laughs> You're talking, go for it. All right. 
Um, I feel like for me, and I don't know if this is right for Shindel, but for me, it's a lot of outside influences, you know, um, having a lot of responsibilities, having a lot to do in life, having a lot to deal with, while also trying to make something of yourself and something of your career. And it's very difficult sometimes, especially when there's a lot on your plate that you have to take care of. Um, so I think in regards to that, it translates into my books in the way that my heroines, they have a lot to learn about themselves when the books start and they come like full circle. But there's also a lot of outside influences that shape who they are, give them op opposing challenges and things that they need to rise above to overcome. So I would say, yes, there are a lot of things in my world or things that have happened or, you know, things that I've experienced that can influence what comes out in a story. And in that regard, I would say, yes, it shows in my heroes, my heroines and my villains. Shindel? I don't know because- I don't have I... any threats. No, I, I mean, I have anger management problems, but, um, and a lot of the outside forces as Megan was talking about, like me personally, my biggest struggles and threats are the shit I deal with at home and stuff, you know, and mental illness and things like that. Um, but when I write characters, I don't know, maybe it does translate. It's not something I've ever thought about. I what? Can I interject for a, can I interject for a second? Because I think I think I know what you're touching on there, and it applies to me too. But we we share some of the same mental illness stuff. Um, the idea that like these these little bad decisions that you make or the things that you say in a moment, um, and this happens to a lot of your your relationships, obviously, and, and a lot of your characters in your story, can can cause ruin or briefly ruin to something that was that was meaningful. So part of the, I think maybe something I I also see as a threat for myself is just doing the wrong thing in the wrong moment, you know, making the wrong choice. Um, I don't know that, um, I don't know that my, I guess, I guess my answer would be is that I make sure my characters don't behave the way I do. Make sure they're, <laughs> I try to prevent them from, <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. Because but, they're like, they're like your babies. You're, you're raising them to be, to be better than you. It's beautiful. I don't Listen, a lot of a lot of writers think about their characters as extensions of themselves or I, I don't know. I, I, don't I don't think it's like... purposeful, but it, it sounds to me like you're trying to write them in a way so that they're not making the kind of mistakes you think you would and well, therefore they're I'm succeeding. What I'm saying is I'm, I'm not cognitively, uh, consciously thinking about myself or my problems when I'm writing these characters. When I'm writing these characters, I really... I tap into them and their problems. I put myself in their shoes. I become them. They don't become me. So I'm okay, like, I, okay. I, I get it. And I'm not, and I'm, again, I'm not saying that, like, I don't write this, this cowboy who gets really violent when somebody's done him wrong, you know, and bashes his skull. And I'm not writing that, like thinking, oh, this is part of me. I'm going to explore this. It's just sort of coming out because I'm the one writing it. And even to the best of my abilities of stepping outside myself, you, you still are yourself. So I think it's an interesting well, Go ahead. It's just never something, it's just not something I've ever asked myself. Um, and like, I have a lot of characters, you know, that I might, I could try to think about, but you know, like my, 
one of my main characters, her name's Emerson. She is a little more volatile. She's a little more explosive and fiery. And um, that might be, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I kind of, I guess, I guess I, that would be a comparison. But then my, my main, main character is much calmer and calculated and devious. So I don't really know. I, I don't know. Look, That's I think a, the sentence that you said yourself, and it's going to be hard for me to quote you because, you know, I don't have a memory, but. You said something to the effect of when I was talking about them being your little babies, you try to have them behave in a way different than, than you would. And I think you were speaking to not like in generalities, but in terms of like specific weaknesses, or like you said, that extra volatility. So your your probably your best character, your Dumbledore to me is Tegan, Tegan. Yeah, and she's, she's much more calculated, right? She has this explosive anger that's a side of you and, and whether you're writing it on purpose or not, you know, she has it, but she's, she's more calculated and she's more controlled and she's more aware through the anger. I don't know what it says, but I get, I don't, I don't like, I don't like comparing my characters to me. I don't know. It, it's, I don't know. It makes me all uncomfy and twitchy. Okay. Well, that's what I'm here for. Um, let's, uh, let me just ask you this. Cause you know, we only have um, a little bit of time left here, but your success stories are really interesting. And again, I can, I can mostly speak to Shandell's success, Megan, I'm sorry, but um, there were a few moments there where I considered an intervention because there were maybe like 10 moments where I said intervention to my family members and only eight of those I was kidding, but it was while you were all 10. I want to punch you for there were, it was while you were going deep, deep into debt, going into the, going to these conferences and just applying your craft and you know we didn't see in your head what it felt like at the time was a person chasing their dream which you always support but accruing this debt that was going to make everything else hard if they didn't succeed so can you talk a little bit about and what you've done has been amazing we were all so effing wrong you know and i'm so happy for that yeah yeah yeah, we were. I and we, seriously. So, in our limited time left, though, talk about that. Like, like the perseverance it took, like the the purposefulness it took, in, in crafting your skills and learning the tropes and the genres. And you know, success is weird, man. It takes a little bit of luck. It takes knowing the right people. But you know, your precise sculpting of yourself um, that can apply to anything. I mean, I. I do what I want. <laughs> We're talking about like a decade, right? Uh, I started writing. It's a little fuzzy. I forget. When when did we live in New York, Jared? All right. That was like 2008. No, no. 2009. Okay. <laughs> okay. But it was somewhere around there. I forget the exact. I mean, I remember the weekend that it started. I was in Cape Cod with Candace. But basically, I mean, what it came down to is being in my mid twenties and just fumbling through my, you know, never feeling like a college degree that I was in was fitting, never feeling, never feeling that click of this. And is that's what not I to say to that do. you weren't good at those things. The other things you tried, you were good at. And I was, I mean, yeah, I was, at, you know, I was okay. And, um, I mean, I appreciate you saying that, but I was right, for what I want. On. I'm sorry. Yeah. I complimented you. Yeah, don't yeah, how dare you throw me off my game? Um, I don't take compliments well. Um, why is your game not getting compliments? I don't know. I have mental illness. I have to find a therapist. That's that's for my no, I'm not. I'm just 
I'm Megan, help me out. <laughs> Megan, help. Megan steps in and says, she's not an asshole. <laughs> she's not an asshole. She's but just in, in Listen, that, I'm trying it, to give a real answer. I'm trying okay, to Okay, but in the answer. midst of all that pain that so many feel when they're trying to find the thing that's most them, and there's all these people around you saying, hey, maybe you're doing the right thing. You're taking this huge risk. You kept going. And what was it that kept you going? I'm trying to answer that. All right, do what it. I'm saying is, is that I've always been a dreamer. You know, I, I always see the top, the end game. I always see the, the goal, what I want, the future I want to have. Right. And for all the different things, you know, uh, wanting to go to law school, being an interior design, going into fashion design, I saw what I wanted out of that. And I'm really good at realizing if that's going to make me happy. And I realized none of those things were working. Nothing felt right. I just was drowning in this career path that wasn't making me happy. You know, I was living in New York, but I wasn't happy with the lifestyle that the fashion industry was going to give me. I didn't want that. And then so you experienced when, some explosion of inspiration where you said, I want to write. Well, I found, I found reading <laughs> again, which sounds funny, but I'm extremely dyslexic and I stopped reading. I only read clip notes from ninth grade on. So it was about 10 years that I didn't read. Um, and I used to love reading in middle school. So when I refound reading it in stories, and then I started writing with Candace, and I found that, I mean, I was three chapters into a, a book with her, and I was like, this is it. Writing stories, making stories in my head, and I realized I'd been writing stories in my head for my whole life. So when I found the thing that just clicked after, you know, what was I, 25 at the time? I realized this is it. This is going to give, if if I make it to the end goal, if I make it to the monetary level that I want to be at for this career, you know, top dog level, that's the life I want. Well, that and, takes a lot of courage, though, like to to try to figure out what it is you want to do and then to actually actually do that thing. I don't see it as courage. I see it as survival. Um for me, it wasn't, well, I don't know. I, I didn't think, for me personally, it didn't feel like courage. I, you know, whatever Cindy said about families and things, but our parents have always been very, um, have always been very supportive of us following our dreams and doing whatever makes us happy. You know what I mean? It's never like I had to, I never felt the courage. I just, I just didn't see it as a courage thing. I saw it as more of a survival thing, but also when I think about it, maybe it's different for you Jerry but I mean we went into performing arts school in sixth grade you know what I mean we so since a very young age was I 11 something like that I've been a, a visual artist where you hear starving artist and in all <laughs> of that so and I went into a you know a very competitive you know school of the arts with with all the artists surrounding me and and so it's kind of just always been trained very young from school that if you're gonna make it in the arts you've got to fight for it and it's gonna right, be I mean, a struggle. yeah i mean i could you could apply that i guess to, to almost anything where you're talking about prioritizing happiness and figuring out what actually makes you happy in your case the arts and i guess in our society these days particularly in the arts as you said like 
the idea of not making as much money for the sake of happiness certainly has been normalized. Well, for me, it was, um, you know, I was working in the fashion industry and living in South Florida, but not even like Miami. So like, if you're going to work in the fashion industry, you've either got to be in New York, LA, Europe, you know, but, like but Milan there was... or Paris or, or, or Miami. And Miami was such a different fashion genre, so to speak, that it, I basically hit a wall where there was no going forward in my career. There were no other jobs to get and still live in Florida near my family. The last job you know, that you had doing not what you loved, um, you were probably making somewhere between, let's just be really general and say 40 to 60,000 a year or something like that. <laughs> no. I mean, let's just, you know, if, if we can use that kind of number just for the sake of, because to, for a lot of people listening to this. Uh, no, might- I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. I, after, you know, taxes, you know, that they took out of my check. I think I made 35,000 a year. Well, I guess my point is that for a lot of people sitting here in their mid twenties, even in their mid thirties, you know, maybe they're considering a second career, you know, switching because what they're currently doing does not make them happy. You know, I know people close to me who are experiencing that kind of thing. They're good at what they're doing, but it's not making them happy on a daily basis. And so even though they're making enough money to, to live and live a lifestyle that they like, you know, they do want to do things that are better for them, you know, on the whole. And um, it can be really daunting, you know, to, to risk that, you know, the risk that you accepted was I'm going to chase this and I'm going to chase this for years and I'm going to sculpt myself the way an artist would. But but at the end of that, with each step that you take, though, you accrue more debt and it makes it so that your ultimate goal of being happy becomes more and more of a a challenge at the end of that road if you don't make it. And that particularly that I'm sure there must have been moments of pain for you and and real angst. Yeah, but see, you keep talking about happiness and people having jobs that are unfulfilling but they're supporting themselves. That is not the life I lived. I don't have a bachelor's degree. I couldn't get another job. It was the one I had or go back to serving tables and being absolutely miserable. It was, you know what I mean? It was either go back to school and, you know, or or continue the dead end job I was in or be waitressing. It wasn't about I'm not happy. It was literal survival. It was, I don't have money to support myself. So, okay. But, but, but for a lot of people, survival doesn't look like, you know, accruing that much debt. And while you're building this network and and applying your craft with so much risk involved, like survival might look more like, okay, I know I can do this particular specific thing. There's a two-year path at this school I'll get my bachelor's, I'll get this job and I can move on without uncertainty. Yeah, but um, when you're, a lot of people I know and a lot of authors I know, I mean, I know authors who are doctors. I know authors who are lawyers. I know doctors who are archeologists, you know? I mean, I know the authors who, who do so many other jobs that aren't in the arts, they're in science or they're in your, you know, they're teachers. But for me, I've always been an artist. It's always been in the arts. 
So there's no such, there's no such thing. You're speaking a language that didn't apply to me. You know what I mean? Because like you have degrees and you could go do quite a number of jobs, careers that could make you uh, an income to support a lifestyle that you want. You know what I mean? Well, but yeah. That's not, and, wasn't, and that's that a, wasn't an option. It's a fair but comparison. But for me, my priority was always, and I think probably for you too, freedom, freedom over anything else, you know? freedom to be me and, and do the things that I want to do while making sure I made a certain amount of money. And I'm just, look, I mean, you are a, a champion of this cause of doing something that you really, truly appreciate taking on great risk, but doing the things necessary, not necessarily like you had this roadmap in your mind of, you know, they say build a network, but damn it, if having a network didn't matter when you switched to indie from self public, from uh, trying to do the, the trad publishing. Right. And like, that perseverance, man, like you could persevere just for perseverance's sake, but, but to persevere and, and then have it all work out through the risk that, that took a lot of courage. And I, I, I'm surprised you're not accepting that. I guess it's for me, it's courage. Wasn't courage. Wasn't a word that even came around in my mind. It was pure survival. It was, it, there were no other options for me. It's not like I could have gotten a different job. Well, Megan, not... Megan, you did have a different job, right? Were you a teacher? Um, I worked. I worked several jobs while trying to write at the same time. So I was a preschool teacher. Yes. So I was teaching and doing a couple other jobs while trying to get the writing up off the ground. Well, what do you attribute your success to? Like, what do you think were the most important things, Megan? I would say <laughs> it's just determination. Like, you just you just have this feeling in your gut that, like, this is what you have to do. And this is what you need to do. And this is what you want to do. And, and it's just, it's a drive that, like, you feel like you just can't stop until you get to that point. And you just keep going. And there, you know, Shandell and I have been friends for nine years. We've been through like a lot of ups and downs in the publishing world, you know, from from being with especially bad, especially from the beginning. Yeah. Being with bad publishers or having an agent that didn't do anything or, you know, thinking that there was only one path when there really was another path and learning things over and over and over again. You know, you could say that going to conferences and being accruing that debt is like hard to look at. But at the same time, is it really debt when you're attributing it to being more and wanting to be more and investing in yourself. Look, that's a great point. It's similar to a college education. And, um, but also but when you're getting a college education, you get this piece of paper that you show an employer. <laughs> it's silly, but, but it, but it says, Hey, I know X you can hire. Well, you me. know, the, the funny thing is, is when Megan and I first started, we were trying to go the traditional publishing route, you know, with a, with a publishing house, like Simon and Schuster or Penguin, things like that, because we, Indie was self-publishing was a different world back then. And we wanted that validation. See, an agent wanted us. An editor said we were good at this. Um, we have thrown that need for validation completely out the window on a highway a few states down the road. Um, the funny part about that is, is that even if you look now at some of those traditionally published authors, they are not doing as good as we are. Not even. No, and I think. You know? The other thing is, the other thing, Jerry, to answer the question is that this, I know for Megan and I, particularly, when we finally found writing and how 
cool and fun and how much we loved writing stories, it didn't feel like debt. It didn't feel like this crazy thing. It was exciting. It was, holy shit, I found this amazing career that I and didn't know what I could do. I want this. And it wasn't, so for us, it wasn't about like, we didn't think about it about courage. You know, it was survival to okay. make money. But let me, like, let me respond. It was more of like, this is amazing. Okay. Like, I, I, I see that. Like, I can remember that very first conference that we, which is where we met. It was our very first writing conference. And both of us looked at each other and we were like, this is where we belong. Right. We were both working jobs um, at the time, right? Yeah, we both had our own jobs. Chandel had her full-time job. I also had a full-time job. And, and then- you were both content to continue to do that while also writing for as long as it took, correct? As long as it took. There was so, no stop. So, yeah. okay. I mean, look, Megan, your point of staying fluid as you chase this dream was a great one. That's probably a great principle for anybody trying to find success in something that they really care about. Um, you can have a vision, but that that can change as you learn, right? And as you learned, hey, there's this, this industry that I think is success, there's another route. So staying fluid has to be one of our principles that that's what we're trying to talk about today. Well, I um, also think like you kind of have to just learn. You have to learn all the different angles and all the different things that you could possibly do to get yourself there. There is never just one path. We also have to know what to learn, though, because, you know, taking in information, there's a lot of people who take in a lot of information. And when you hear them repeat it or when you see the end product, you know, you say, OK, wow, this doesn't you know, you don't know every the things within context that you need to know. You haven't actually, you know, gained wisdom. You've just gathered information. Right. You have to, you have to be able to adapt and you have to. uh... There's also like, you know, looking at the information that you've gathered and seeing how it applies within the industry to other people as well. You could look at some authors and be like, okay, that didn't work for that author. It probably won't work for me. That worked for that one. Let's give that a try. You know what I mean? So like you take what you learn and you see it applied and then you figure out how to apply it in such a way that it'll work for you. So you're talking about vigilance there, you know, at every minute, at all times, it's vigilance, you know, and you have to, you have to, I'm sure, shift with, with the trends. You know, you talk about while you're doing this though, and and while you're looking at other authors, you know, you see so many people trying to do it. Like you have to know that most of those people aren't going to succeed. Not everybody can write. You know, almost no matter what career you're talking about, if if somebody thinks their happiness lies down that road, not everybody can do it. So, you know, you spoke of of needing validation from somebody at first to continue chasing it, right? But at some point that shifted to just this supreme confidence from inside, right? That this is what I meant to be doing. And and you must have found was it that you found somebody that validated that, hey, oh. I can do this or or was you found it within or a little bit of both? Combo of things. Um, first, I would say that I read some independently, independently published books. If I'm being honest, I thought were garbage. And I was like, well, they can do it. I can do it. Um, and then, but mostly, you know, I did sign with an agent in 2015. Um, you know, with a New York City literary agent, um, one of one of the big agencies. So there was some validation in that that I managed to get myself an agent. 
which meant my story had to be good enough to, for that. That in itself is very difficult. Well, um, you know, you guys speak of certainty, like just knowing within that you're doing the right thing. And Chandel, you know this, like sometimes, you know, madness and certainty, these things that come from inside fear, they can all feel very jumbled together. So even something like a literary agent accepting you, was there a part of you that felt like, okay, am I just the kid trying to chase pageant dreams? And my mom's spending all this money for these certifications, or I don't know how that works, but you know what I mean? Like there are these, there are these, there are these things where if you spend enough money, somebody will, will validate you and can keep you going on the spend money train. That's not a feeling that I felt maybe with other careers, you know, like, uh, like when I was younger and I wanted to be an actress and you, those, all those, uh, scammy, uh, uh, agents and stuff. You remember Jerry, when we were yeah. kids and yeah. you pay enough money, yeah. you get, they get you gigs and all that. Um, I never felt that way with, with writing it. There is no one to pay off. <laughs> I mean, shoot, if that was an option. Um, so it was just kind of got the agent and then that didn't go well. And then really helped me with just going for it was another author. There was an author who was helping me go indie back in 2017. And um, I mean, now I wouldn't be where I am if that author had helped me, but she read my first, my chosen, witch, my prequel novella. And she was like, this is really good. She was like, really, you know, the shock in her voice was a little bit hurtful. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, like, she told me later, she told me like a year later that she had planned to ask me to like co-write with her to help me because she wasn't sure if I'd be any good. But when she read my book, she was like, no, your book's really good. You can handle it on your own. It was, it was a peer validation from a, a writer who'd been writing publishing longer than I have already and who was an avid reader and she genuinely liked my books you know that's actually a great point there so we can add to you know these keys to being successful you know fluidity which was a great one vigilance right learning with intent and you can add self-checks you know self-checks on your own delusion and or your own whatever and in this case you're talking about a peer who knows the industry and and is and is checking you it was yeah i mean it was a validation from another author but also as a reader you know and that's imposter syndrome is a big thing in the publishing industry and we all have it megan uh are you supremely confident (laughs) (laughs) listen to shandell laugh too um no no I, I find that imposter syndrome is definitely a thing. You know, I feel like it's definitely a thing for me. You know, sometimes when I release and my books go really high, I'm like, holy crap, can't believe it. Or, um, do you ever send an email to Amazon asking to double check? No. Can not you that re- Amazon can, <laughs> before you send me the check, can you run these numbers again? No. I think, I think, imp- I think imposter syndrome is just kind of like a natural way for me. <laughs> A what? It's a natural way of being. Yeah. Well, but that makes you hungry and it makes you vigilant, makes you be fluid and and self-check and and learn with intent, all the things that we're talking about. 
I think it, yes, it may, it, in a way it keeps you on your toes, you know, like always trying to learn, always trying to do like the next trend and making sure you're writing properly and all of those things. But before you set on this road, you guys must have defined what success for you would look like. Because I have somebody very, very close to me who isn't very happy with their current job and is trying to consider other paths. But it's scary because, like I said, they, they're making enough money with what they're doing. Everything is fine. Um, so the first step in, in trying to find success in the road of happiness is probably establishing a realistic goal, right? Did you have realistic goals? Yeah. Or expectations? So what we used to say is, what we used to Megan, say you all didn't? the time is, no, this, listen, this is funny. Let, uh, let, what Chandel's going to say, it's funny. All right. What we used to say all the time was, I'm not going to laugh now though. If if we could if we could just like we had our our full-time jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And we would write at night and on weekends and things. And we would say all the time, if I could just make $1000 a month from writing, yeah. That would put me at a level where I could like keeping our day job paychecks. Just an additional $1000, like a, like a side hustle. If we could just make $1000 a month extra we'd be good. We'd be okay. Like, especially was, when you consider the, the non-financial aspect of that, of feeling like you had meaning. We didn't even care about that. No, we cared solely about money. Yeah, solely about money. We were both, we would both sit there and talk because, you know, like she had her job and I'm living that single mom life, like working multiple jobs and like writing at the same time. And we both would sit there like, Oh man, if we could just make like a thousand dollars a month, off of writing, that would be maybe, maybe okay. Okay, we but off of writing, off of writing was the important part of that because if it's just about the money, Daddy can go shake it in a saloon and make a thousand dollars a month. Like, listen, neither of us have the the, the bodies for that. Okay, no. that well, neither do I. Daddy don't got that body. But if you can shake it, you find somebody to shake it in front of you, make some money. That's that's the way of the world. So yeah, what but I- we're introverts. We don't want to go out. So is Jerry. Well, you know what the, the interesting part that about that situation is. Yeah, let's talk more about off, this. It starts off that way. It starts off, if I could just make $1,000 a month on writing, that would be great. If I can make $2,000 a month, that would be great. If I could just live off of my writing, that would be great. If I could just, and it's always one step further. It's- well, and we also used to say, I mean, Megan and I were making about the same money between her two, two, three jobs and my one job. Uh, Cause you know, this country pays teachers shit. Um, we were making about the same amount of money. Uh, so we used to say, you know, our goals were one, just make an additional thousand dollars because we didn't see feasibly a future where we would not be working our full-time jobs yeah um and then the second goal was like the pipe the pipe dream was if i could make the same exact amount of money that i'm making from my career my day job that 35 grand a year on writing and just do writing that would be okay too like our pipe dreams were so small (laughs) They were so small. Managing expectations, a, though, is a big part of happiness. It's not like you guys set out to, you know, and that's admirable. I mean, I mean, we had, of course, we all, we, we still have our, if we could be Crusty Cole dreams, you know, we could be JR. Who that, who that is. JR Ward. Okay, if we could be JK Rowling. Okay, gotcha. 
you know, like Cressy <laughs> Cole and J.R. Ward are two of the biggest paranormal romance authors in the industry. Right. So, or J.K. Rowling or James Patterson or Stephen King. Like, if we, you don't become a writer and don't have those pipe dreams, right? Well, what, what, I'm what, saying, what I'm saying, and maybe it's really obvious, but you know, while you're doing this full-time job, there's the tax that the government takes from you, but then there's also the tax of, you know, you saying, what is this bullshit all day and feeling just burned out to this ashy husk and having something like writing that you care about so much that you actually love that you're spending probably ridiculous amounts of time on. I mean, I'm speaking from experience here, spending a ridiculous amount of time on outside of your full-time job. Right. But it gives you so much fire, you know, puts so much coal in the engine to keep doing your regular, you know, bullshit job. That's all I was really yeah. speaking about. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a blazing trail. <laughs> the funny part about that is, is that I don't know how we did it. Like, I don't know how we both worked full time. We both had other responsibilities and we wrote at the same time. Because now- I knew we were in our 20s. <laughs> <laughs> Because now I sit here and I'm like, I'm tired. I'm tired. Like I'm very, you know, I'm, we're very blessed to be able to like live the lives that we live. Right. Like we write full time. That's our jobs. We both do very well at it. It's and it's an exciting thing. Like to people are like, what do you do? Oh, I'm a writer. They have no idea what to say to you after you say that, you know, or it's, or it's, like, or it's like, what do you write? Or they'll say, you know, I always wanted to write a book something along those lines and it's really weird to say that for a career and be in that situation and then now I sit here and I look at it and I write full-time and I'm like I'm exhausted how did I how did we and I look at Chandel and we both go how did we do it all at the same time but Chandel already answered that she said survival you guys yeah. are surviving yeah you, you could do anything we, now if you if all of a sudden your fans fell off and you weren't making money like it, it would come you mean back. like I could I could write 10 chapters and 24 hours with that kdp deadline <laughs> no i that's but that's the point that's what you guys are living now that you've found success and it's no longer survival so you guys are and plus pandemic and you know whatever else well you know the thing is is also you know it's been 10 years so when i started this i was 25 and, and obviously you have more energy when you're younger but the older i get the more my mental illnesses come for me you know what I mean um like I'm just learning thanks to friends and TikTok that I think I have ADHD and I've looked into it and I hit all those boxes um so it's like things that didn't affect me back then because I think the survival was so strong like I used to be able to sit and write while the tv was on and watch movies and write at the same time and and hang out with my family. I used to write on my phone in line at Disney World. I remember. I, I remember that you uh, you had had the lights on back then. Yeah, the yeah. Curtains I were would, open. It was a different y'all you. Would, y'all would sit on the couch. You all like the whole family would sit on the couch and we'd watch movies, and I'd sit at the table behind you writing and talking, and all the lights on. And I didn't have a choice back then, and I think that that survival overpowered the ADHD and the OCD I think that executive function just feels like we don't have a choice and now it's like 
it's a playground. Well, what do the twos of you say to, uh, you know, as entrepreneurs who succeeded, you know, you essentially started your own businesses and succeeded and there was a lot of capital required to do it. Um, you had to invest a lot in, in training. Um, what would you say to them? Because what you guys have done is worked 90 to hundred hours a week to build your business to a point where it's, it's not just like you said, providing a little side hustle cast. It's actually providing you a, a good lifestyle. And I think a lot of the things that we've talked about for any entrepreneur, not just in writing, you know, who wants to stop feeling the burden of doing a bullshit job and actually have freedom and, and, and do something with potential and build something and do something they actually enjoy. Um, you know, we talked about fluidity and learning with intent and vigilance and self checks, but is there anything else that you would say, you know, if you're, if you reflect on that path, I mean, we still work those hours (laughs) and you still invest crazy, crazy money in yourself. We're definitely workaholics. I, I mean, there's no doubt about that. But if you're doing what you love and something with potential, it's it's a different It doesn't experience. feel like it, though. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it. So the thing is, the thing is, is, the thing is, is that for some careers, you know, um, you know, like our brother's a doctor, right? Like, and then, of course, I'm not diminishing doctors in any way, but Get em. most doctors yeah. go to school, you study hard, Nerds. you get good test grades. You do a good job. You have, you have to, you're a different kind of nerds than we are. (laughs) But my point is if they work hard enough and they do the work they need to do, they will get a job as a doctor may not be their first choice or something. You know what I mean? As a writer, you could write, you could do the work, you could do everything you're supposed to do and it will fail. Well, first of all, let me say, thank God that there are people uh, like our brother who are doctors Thank God not all of us are doing something so on at least one level useless as writing stories all the time. And I'm not somebody who thinks stories aren't useless. This show is about the, the, what stories provide society, but But thank God not all of us are, you know, it's important that the the world has artists. Yeah. Um, What stories do is they do feed, you know, people who are doctors and lawyers, they do provide things for them that are go beyond just like uh, the pure pure necessities. But what you're talking about there, though, where like, you could do everything you're supposed Um, to do with writing and not succeed. That's where the courage comes in. It is. But the answer, the answer for every person is going to be different, you know, based on their life. You know, there are some people who have supportive family who will take on their, you know, support them financially while they take this risk. And then if it fails, then they have a backup plan. There are people who have to keep doing their day job um, until they reach a certain threshold of money before they can quit their day job. Um, for everyone, it's going to look differently. It's you need, it, There's no easy answer. And it's hard to be like, yeah, quit your job and just have the courage be to just go for it because you have to survive you ha- and you have to have money to survive. And especially like post pandemic, the world, the structure of the world has changed, you know? Well, finding it's- that thing that, that would actually make you happy though. That's um that's easier said than done, right? Like not everybody has that great, like click that, that you had, that Megan had, that I had, um, 
You know, some people, they're just not people... sure. They know what they like, but they don't know that they would like to actually do that full And you know what? I'm going to, on a slight tangent, I think part of the problem is the lack of arts in schools because... All right, I don't want this if... tangent. No, no, it was just a statement of a tangent. But what I'm saying is, like, you and I, Jerry, went to art school. Megan took art classes, a ton of them, right? She had access to to the arts. People... And if you don't have access to that, there are things that you don't even realize are out there. You know what I mean? When was like, the moment that you knew that for both of you, that the click really was writing because I could be sitting here doing a job that I don't like and saying, well, by golly, I love flowers. I wish I was working with flowers all the time, but the 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 hard part there is is having it actually click you know like what do you do to to explore whether or not that's the thing you should do i suppose with something like reading it it makes sense in writing because you simply read and wrote until you said oh shit i should only be reading and writing but that's part of this you know how do you succeed question is is figuring out that that inner click i think the click like for me I just tried things. I tried different yeah. majors, different degrees, different, um, I mean, different careers. I tried. And don't things. be afraid to try things. You know, that's a good point. I, think I mean, I just tried things until I stumbled into writing. It wasn't even something I intended to do. I was just, I tried it and I, I started writing and I just, that inner excitement, you know, that, that it's actually how I would describe like, my two soulmate characters meeting each other <laughs> you know it's like that <laughs> really really true yeah the way is that, that what you're gonna just... say megan no i was gonna say um like for me it began to click when i started writing in it and it felt good like being able to like put the words that were in my head onto paper and start to tell a story of what i was seeing and thinking and you know feeling and putting it all into words and putting it down that started to feel really good. And then when I walked into that world at that conference and I saw all these other people that were doing it and went to the workshops of what and learned more about it, it was an instant like falling in love. And it was like, not just like a little love, like it was like a deep love. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm hard. Ralph, Ralph agrees. <laughs> yeah. I'm like committed hard. Like this is, this is it. Like this is what I will never veer or change or. <laughs> do anything for me the click the click was earlier the click was like i said before i think i was on chapter three of my co-write with candace our cousin and it kind of like it was hindsight honestly the moment i got there and i was like i love this so much and i started putting all the pieces back you know to stories i wrote in middle school in high school um to my daydreaming you know what I mean my disassociating <laughs> and getting lost in my own head it just I realized it was kind of like a how did I miss this well let me let me try to put words in y'all's in y'all's mouths if I may um it sounds like what you're saying here for our last key to finding success or to to forging success is invest incredible amounts of energy in trying things that you think you like until you find the thing that's a click because it in investing all that energy it opens up 
you never know what it'll I, open up within yourself. I think a good, I think a good sign to knowing a click, to knowing that the click happened because some people may not register it. Um, you know, it's kind of like lust. You know what I mean? Like you may not register love and all that kind of stuff. But if you're willing to spend every dime you have on this pipe dream, if you're willing to cancel social plans, you know, like, no, I'm not going to go hang out with my friends because I'm going to go home and write. You know, if you are willing to save up and go to these conferences, like look at your priorities. If your priorities shift that much, that tells you how much something means to you. Okay. And if you're not being fluid and, and vigilant and learning with intent and building a network as you do all those things um, and investing energy to really open yourself up um, to new opportunities and learning more about yourself, then then it's probably a bigger risk than otherwise than it otherwise would be, right? But well, let me move. Go ahead, Megan. Sorry. I th- I just think it's really important to like invest, like you said, energy. But yes, but also invest in yourself because nobody else is going to sit there and tell you that you can do it. No one else is going to sit there and tell you, yeah, you can write a book. Like Chandel's dyslexic. I'm dyslexic. Like my teachers told my family that I would never read or write. They told them that I would never go to college or get a degree or any of that stuff. Jesus, they sound like good teachers, huh? Well, they literally sat there and they said, you need to teach her a trade because she will never read or write like any, like a normal person. Good Lord. So in that regard, if you should get their addresses and send them a signed book. I was going to say that, but in that regard, (laughs) if you sit there and you listen to other people's opinions of what you're doing, that's not going to help. You need to invest in yourself and you need to believe in yourself because like, I believe in the fact that I can write a book and I can tell a story and that is probably one of the most important things that you can say to yourself as a writer. And instead of sitting there and listening to people sitting there telling me like, oh, you'll never read, you'll never write. Listen, you've edited my books. You know, you've seen me flip my letters. I do it all the time. If yeah. I write titled instead of tilted one more time, I'm going to shoot myself. You know, what I mean? like, and it happens. But like, you know, it's one of those things where you have to believe that this is what you're there for. And sitting there, me being the way that I am, if, if I sat there and was like, oh, no, I'm this way. I'm not supposed to write. Like, no, you know what? That's what editors are paid for. I could tell a damn good story. I like- mean, yes, you can. You both can. But like you guys have admitted to being very insecure and having imposter syndrome. So for you to sit here and say, you know, believe in yourself, that's not just like those aren't just empty words. Like you really had to had to earn that. Right. Like belief in yourself. And it was from, like you said, investing. There's in nothing else. And, it, and, it's- and sometimes sometimes you have to admit. Or your family saying that you're in a funk or your family saying that there needs to be an intervention. Sometimes I, yeah, I didn't say you're in a funk. Family. I yelled intervention. Yeah. And you know, no, our mother it. told me every other week I was in a funk and I was depressed and I'm oh, like, God. no, I'm just working. There's- no, I'm just a writer, mom. <laughs> There's a lot of people around you, especially when you're on this road where it is a very hard path to take. It is not an easy path to walk and be like, I'm going to be a writer, a full-time writer, because that is a really difficult thing to do. And there's going to be a lot of people around you that are going to sit there and say, maybe you should do something that's a little bit more secure. Maybe you should do something that you have a steady income. Maybe you should make sure that like you have a backup plan or you have this, or you have that and all these extra things. And you, And it's really hard because they do get in your head and you're like, maybe I should. But at the same time, like Chandel said, when you're you got to be so stubborn, you have to be so stubborn when your priorities shift 
into the realm of being like, this is what I have to do. I'm not going out. I'm not doing that. I'm writing, I'm editing, I'm, I'm doing marketing. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. When your priorities shift that way, you need to keep pushing yourself and not listen to the people that are telling you, you have to have a backup. Yeah. Well, that's true. You learn the industry of what you wanted to do inside and out. And that, that has to be said. Um, but you guys did have a backup plan too. That has to also be acknowledged. Like you want to change careers. You have to invest enormous energy in doing it as a side hustle. Yeah. But that's because you, you bit somebody's neck. Cut it. Did I you did bite not. somebody's No? Okay. Maybe I'll edit that out. I want to. You guys are witches, right? Both of you? Very witchy. Yeah. Yeah? Wiccan? No. No. All right. Yeah, I think that's a good spot to stop. Um, mostly, I just wanted that confession from you guys uh, somewhere in that interview. And thanks for being here today. Well, guys, uh, I'm sure many of you are storytellers. Uh, if you've got a great Western and you need a publisher, why not try Dusty Saddle Publishing? Uh, with over 60 Westerns in the top 100, a top-notch catalog, and all the hit makers you can shake your stick at, uh, you may want to go where the action is. So if interested, email Katrina at dspublishingnetwork.com. That's uh, Katrina with a K at dspublishingnetwork.com.